I want to invite everyone to open your Bibles to Exodus chapter 31. Uh, the Bible begins in Genesis, and then the next book is Exodus. Genesis, a book of origins. Exodus, a book of liberation. And we've been considering as we've been walking through this year in Exodus how God liberates us from all that would enslave us. And last week we made we entered into a new section of the book as God is communicating uh, the liberation of his presence and the command to build the tabernacle. And, a taber- and the tabernacle was a holy place, a place set apart to experience God's presence, a space for God's presence. This morning, we see God reiterate the importance of observing Sabbath and the time for experiencing God's presence. We see a space and then a time for God's presence. And so uh, let's read our passage. It's Exodus 31. I'm going to be in verse 12 through verse 17. Exodus 31, beginning in verse 12. And the Lord said to Moses, You are to speak to the people of Israel and say, Above all, you shall keep my Sabbaths. For this is a sign between me and you you, throughout your generations that you may know that I, the Lord, sanctify you. You shall keep the Sabbath because it is holy for you. And now we see God outline the consequences of not observing it. It continues, everyone who profanes it shall be put to death. And we'll comment on this later. (laughs) Whoever Whoever does any work on it that... That soul shall be cut off from among his people. Six days you shall work, shall work be done, but on the seventh day is a Sabbath of solemn rest, holy to the Lord. Whoever does any work on the Sabbath shall be put to death. Therefore the people of Israel shall keep the Sabbath, observing, observing the Sabbath throughout their generations as a covenant forever. It is a sign forever between me and the people of Israel that in six days the Lord made heaven and earth. And on the seventh day, he rested and was refreshed. This is the word of God from the people of God. You know, one reality that many of us experience in America is the reality of that Americans are overworked. Here's a sampling from a few titles of articles and newspapers and financial magazines and the like. Uh, a few samples. Uh, The U.S. is the most overworked, developed nation in the world, is the headline in a finance magazine. Uh, ABC News had this headline, Americans work more than anyone. The New Yorker, uh, you really don't need to work so much. Uh, Here's one, I I like this, uh, from a British magazine. Six American work habits people in other countries think is ridiculous. And they outline a few, a few that kind of stuck out, three that stuck out. One, Americans don't take their vacations. We, uh, many of us have benefits that we don't even utilize, the vacation time that we just don't take. Uh, another, we take work home. Many pe- people in other countries think this is ridiculous, that we go to work and then we go home and bring our work with us through texts and emails. And, and then third, Americans work longer hours. Than others, And this was a study that actually many of these articles, and there's a number of other articles that reference this, um, cite the study of Americans working more hours than others. 
It says, one study found this. Statistics show that Americans work longer hours than the majority of other countries, 137 hours per year more than the Japanese, 260 hours per year more than, than in the UK, and 500 hours more than the French. And there's probably a part of us in hearing this that is a little proud. Like, yes, let's high-five each other. We're, we're, we've worked more hours than anybody else. And uh, if that's our response to hearing this kind of news, if this is how we, the game we want to win, then there's actually some uh, foolishness in it. Because unfortunately, being overworked, being the most overworked country is not something we'd want to win. Because you can win in the hours you work and lose in life. And unfortunately, many in our country are. Increased anxiety, stress, depression are some of the effects of being overworked. And of course, the work isn't just the amount of hours that we put in. Work is a quest that many of us are on. This quest of finding rest. We feel tired, burnt out on work, burnt out on relationships, burnt out on religion and church. What rest does God offer you and I? It's not just Americans that are prone to find our identity in work. In the book of Exodus, we see God giving a commandment to his people. Now, it's important to remember the context in which this commandment to observe the Sabbath was given. God's people were just a few weeks removed from being delivered from slavery, a slavery that they had experienced for hundreds of years. Brutal, physical enslavement. No vacations. No time off. God's people were a work unit. Their sole purpose was to do the will of Pharaoh, to build pyramids and infrastructure. And that work, that culture, shaped their identity. They began to internalize that their whole purpose and value was found in their work. And it's in this context that God commands them. Commands, doesn't suggest, but commands that they rest. In fact, there's a number of motivations behind the giving of the Sabbath. In Deuteronomy 5, it lists it this way. The text will be on the screen. It says, Observe the Sabbath day, keep it holy as the Lord commanded you. In verse 15, You shall remember that you were a slave in the land of Egypt, and the Lord your God brought you out from there with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. Therefore, the Lord your God commanded you to keep the Sabbath day. Day. God's saying, remember, you were in slavery, and the liberation that I'm bringing you is holistic, that you can find and experience rest. We need that liberation today, too. In a culture and world that wants to say your value and worth is connected to your ability to produce widgets, God has another message. Uh, one philosopher, Charles Taylor, he, he gets to the heart of this in Western society, puts it well. He says, We have constructed an environment in which we live a uniform, 
univocal secular time, which we try to measure and control in order to get things done. This time frame deserves perhaps more than any other facet of modernity. Uh, I'm sorry, this time frame deserves perhaps more than any other facet of modernity. Weber's famous description, Stahlhart's Gehus, which is German for the iron cage. What he's saying is this, our view of time, that time is merely a reality that we must live into in order to produce something, enslaves us. It enslaves us. So this morning, how can the Sabbath liberate us? Two things, the liberation of the Sabbath and Sabbath habits that empower us to experience its freedom. Sabbath liberation and Sabbath habits. Uh, First, as we look at the liberation and freedom that Sabbath brings, uh, that Sabbath liberates us from a work-based culture, we see there is freedom for our body. Sabbath brings physical rest. It liberates us from the burden of being overworked. In verse 17 of our text in Exodus 31, it says, It is a sign forever between me and the people of Israel that in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, and on the seventh day he rested and was refreshed. We see here God connecting the observant to Sabbath to Genesis chapter 1, and it's interesting because again and again and again in Exodus, God goes back to Genesis, the act of creation and recreation. And in Genesis 1, we see God create the heavens and the earth. And on the final day, he Sabbaths, he rests. And there's this, there's this rhythm in God's creation account. Each day uh, begins in the evening, and then there is the day, there is morning, there is evening and morning one day, evening and morning a second day, evening and morning a third day. There's this rhythm that God is setting up in Genesis of how we are to live. Evening and morning, evening and morning. Rest, work. Rest, work. Rest, work. Rest, work. Rest, work. Rest, work. Rest, 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 work. A rhythm that God is wanting to establish for life. Technology, if you will. Evening and morning, technology that empowers human flourishing by giving our bodies time to rest and recuperate. But in our technology, we seek to find ways around it. We have lights that allow us to not be confined by the evening and morning. We can work all night if we need to. We have little pocket computers that we can hold in our hand where someone can have access to us at any moment of the day through text messages and emails. We have alarms that wake us up in the morning to make sure we don't miss anything and launch us into a day of busyness. We even have drinks, caffeine, coffee, and monster drinks, and Red Bull, to make sure even when our bodies feel physically tired, we can mentally press through to get the job done. But if we're going to flourish physically for the long term, none of that technology will help us. Sleep and rest is God's invention to help us thrive physically. Your body needs rest. I mean, research shows this. I'm not going to say anything we don't know, haven't heard before. 
Uh, rest is important for our brain. Sleep helps your brain work properly. While you're sleeping, your brain is preparing for the next day. It's forming new pathways to help you learn and remember information. It's important for your physical health. Sleep plays an important role in your physical health. For example, sleep is involved in healing and repair of your heart and your blood vessels. Ongoing sleep deficiency is linked to an increased risk of heart disease, kidney disease, high blood pressure, diabetes, and stroke. And one Harvard paper put it well, uh, while sleeping well is no guarantee of good health, it does help to maintain many vital functions. One of the most important of these functions may be to provide cells and tissues with the opportunity to recover from the wear and tear of daily life. Major restorative functions in the body, such as tissue repair, muscle growth, and protein synthesis occur almost exclusively during sleep. We need rest. But there's a problem. And, and it goes like this. You know, some of us, I know I feel this way sometimes, and maybe you can relate. We almost feel like we need to ask permission. almost feel like we need to ask permission to rest. It's almost like on a Saturday or Sunday afternoon, feeling tired and you may want to take a nap. You almost need someone to say it's okay. Is this okay? Am I allowed to lay down? Is this okay? Is this allowed? Someone give me permission because there's this part of me that says this is kind of wrong. I feel this need to ask for permission to take it easy, to take a vacation, to take a day off, to take a nap. And what are the things that we ask for permission for? You know, we ask permission for things that we think are luxuries. And when we think getting rest is something we must ask permission for, we are saying that rest is a luxury. Rest is a necessity, friends. And the good news, this is the good news is that God he gives us a command He commands rest. How many of us would love for our boss to give that command? (laughs) Build into your job description, work. Oh, and then there's an expectation that you rest. God gives us this command because he is for our good. Rest isn't a luxury, it's a necessity, and God commands it. There's freedom for our body. Uh, We also see uh, the liberation Sabbath brings, liberating us from a work-based narrative into a grace-based narrative. Sabbath liberates us. There's freedom for our mind. Freedom for our mind. The text we read in verse 17 says, In six days the Lord made heaven and earth, and on the seventh day he rested and was refreshed. The Lord made heaven and earth. The Lord makes, not you or I. Uh, Every night, uh, I drift off into a world of semi-consciousness and sleep, and uh, my brain is repairing and refreshing, and my body is recuperating. And in that time, I am utterly useless to the world. My kids know this when they come and wake, wake me up, or Megan and up. I come in, and there's nothing we can really do. We're sleeping, 
I'm not producing a widget. I'm not even accessible on my phone. I'm asleep. And yet God's work continues. And when I wake up in the morning, I wake and enter into a world where the most important parts of the day are already in motion. I enter into a world and the sun has risen. And and I had no control in that reality. I enter into a world and rather than breathing a poisonous gas, carbon dioxide, I breathe oxygen. Because in God's providence, He created a world where there's photosynthesis and plants suck the poisonous gas, carbon dioxide out of the atmosphere and produce oxygen so that we can breathe. I had no control over that. God is making and sustaining life. And when I enter into it, I'm entering into God's grace. And we see God's grace evident not just in the creation, but we see it in the communities in which we live in. We enter into our car and we drive on a road that I didn't make. And we participate in a city, largely of which there are resources that I'm not a part of having any hand in. We see God's grace over and over and over. And even in our particular work. You know, sometimes I enter into my work day and I pull up my emails and I see people on our team doing things that I'm not a part of, responding to requests, emails, just informing me of, of what's happening. And sometimes there's this tendency, because as a lead pastor, I think I need to control everything sometimes. I enter in and I want to know what's happening and I offer solutions. And it's like Jacob and Janelle and Mike sometimes can be like, you know, Jay, it's all okay. <laughs> There's this part of me that wants to flex my muscle and be in control. God's saying, you know, your mind at times can rest at ease. We wake up and enter into a world that we did not make, and we largely work in a world that we did not create. This is God's grace, friends. It is God's grace that we don't have to be at the center and control everything. We're just people people participating in God's creative world. We don't have to be God. We don't have to have our hand in every little detail and work. We can rest, rest our minds. This is so important for us to remember. When we lay our head down to sleep and our mind can begin to think about all the things, all the stuff, I know I have this some moments of going to bed and I just can't get my mind to turn off. I'm thinking, did I answer that email? Uh, who's, doing, who's addressing such and such a thing? Uh, where will all kids go to school? And who, are their, who will their teachers be? And will it be okay? And, and who's addressing this? And oh no, now I'm up and thinking and I'm not going to get enough sleep and I'm going to be tired tomorrow. And on and on the cycle goes. You know, the good news of God's grace is that He is providence and He is at work sovereignly. His hand is making the world means I can close my eyes and I can go to sleep. There's freedom and rest for our minds. We don't have to multitask. We don't have to control every detail. Life will go on. We're just people. Sabbath liberates our body, it liberates our mind, and also it ultimately liberates our soul, liberates our heart. We can find true, lasting rest. 
You know, I was struck by one uh, New York City woman who was responding to why she struggles to take time off. She works 60 hours on a, on a low week, uh, often working over 80 hours, and she was responding to this. She said, of course, she would like to take more time off, but what she has found is that taking time off is actually harder than working because she's part of friendships where there seems to be this ongoing quest to measure up. She feels like a failure in her dating life. And so to be alone means she has to just sit and, realizing, and realize she's failing at the quest of belonging and love. And so work provides a respite from that quest, a time to enter in and get things done and be successful. You know, many of us can relate to that. We overwork not because the boss requires it, but we overwork because there's a part of our soul that's rooting our identity and our work. There's a part of our soul that struggles to go home. There's a part of our soul that feels like a failure and work provides a means of forming some semblance of an identity we can be proud of. God wants to liberate us, not to just provide some time off. He wants to give rest for our soul. Uh, Jesus, in speaking to this in Mark chapter 2, has this fascinating interaction. It says in verse 23, the passage will be on the screen. One Sabbath, he was going through the grain fields, and as they made their way, Jesus and his disciples, his disciples began to pluck heads of grain. I love this. And the Pharisees were saying to him, look. Why are they doing what is not lawful on the Sabbath? It makes me kind of wonder, where were the Pharisees? Where were these religious leaders? Were they just, did they like pop out of nowhere and say, look, sin? Or did they hear about this? I don't know, it doesn't say. But they, they noticed Jesus and his disciples seemingly disobeying God's command. And religious people are like this. You know, religious people are always observing, always watching, and trying to catch you disobeying God's command. And Jesus, but Jesus communicates the real role that Sabbath plays in verse 27. He said to them, The Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. In other words, the Sabbath is a gift from God for you to rest, not a work in order to earn God's love and favor. And then in verse 28, which would have floored the audience's minds when they heard it, Jesus says, So the Son of Man is Lord even of the Sabbath. Jesus is saying he is Lord of the Sabbath. What this means is that Jesus is saying that he is what the Sabbath regulations were pointing to. He is the one that can give the deep rest our soul needs. Jesus is Lord of rest. This is why we've read this twice already this morning. Jesus' invitation in Matthew 11, he says, come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. Learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart. You will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. See, Jesus is saying, if you follow me, you will have rest in the physical struggles of life. Jesus is saying you're, there won't be absence of pain and struggle. He says in the midst of the pain and struggles of life, you will find rest. 
As one Jewish author put it, the spiritual murmur in our soul, the desire to find our worth in meaning from what we do is fulfilled in Jesus Christ. We are loved and accepted, not because of the work that we can do, but because his work on our behalf. You know, I feel like life is often like a puzzle. It's like a Rubik's Cube. And we constantly are trying to find the perfect formula, put all the pieces together so everything will work. There's this tension, right? This tension because, well, I need to rest the right amount, the perfect amount of rest, and so I can work the right amount so that I can connect with my family the right amount. You feel this Rubik's Cube, and once you do one thing, then another thing is lacking, and so you're just constantly, we're trying to put the puzzle together. We want to rest perfectly physically. We want to rest perfectly mentally. We want to rest perfectly spiritually. There's this constant pressure And the question is, what can align all the pieces? What can bring physical, mental, and spiritual rest all together? Jesus. Jesus is the one who can satisfy the work underneath the work. Jesus is the one who can bring lasting Sabbath, lasting rest, who can free us from the story and narrative that says, I have to do it all perfectly. Jesus is the one who brings ultimate, genuine, lasting rest. The Sabbath is good news. The Sabbath frees our body from the burden of overwork. It frees our mind from trying to control everything. And it frees our soul to rest in Jesus' work on our behalf. Now, of course, there's a problem. Probably I haven't said anything that we haven't thought about on some level. Yes, We would all love Sabbath. Yes, we would all love to experience this rest. But how do we do it? I want to close by just being outline some of the the habits we can commit to that can enable this kind of experience in life, that can enable us to experience rest because Sabbath won't just happen. We're not just going to wake up and experience rest. It requires a degree of intentionality in our lives. As one lady put it in speaking about the challenge of Sabbath, she said, most people mistakenly believe that all you have to do is stop working, is to do is stop working. I'm sorry. (laughs) Most people mistakenly believe that all you have to do to stop working is not work. There we go. The inventors of the Sabbath understood that it was a much more complicated undertaking. You cannot downshift casually and easily. This is why the Puritan and Jewish Sabbaths were so exceedingly intentional. The rules did not exist to torture the faithful. They were meant to communicate the insight that interrupting the ceaseless round of striving requires a surprisingly strenuous act of will, one that has to be bolstered by habit, as well as by social sanction. Sabbath requires a plan. It requires intentionality. It requires action. So as we close, what are four actions, four habits that we can invest in? Uh, First, we need to invest in Sabbath culture. Need to invest, must invest 
in Sabbath culture. We need a community that celebrates rest because we live in a world that doesn't. I think this is, this is summed up really well um, by one guy writing about the, the power of cultural influence. William Powers, author of Hamlet's Blackberry, tells the story of a friend who was an immigrant to the United States, and he developed a habit of answering the question. When someone would ask him, how are you, this immigrant new to the U.S., he picked up on how to respond. He would answer, how are you, with a huge smile, and the answer, busy, very busy. <laughs> he thought that was the proper response, rather than, fine, thank you, how are you? The proper response to how are you is, I'm busy. That's so telling for our culture. Our culture says, celebrates work, celebrates, finds value in overwork. So we need a Sabbath. We need a community with a culture. And this is why, friends, this is why that God twice repeats the command that if someone breaks Sabbath, they are to be put to death. Look at what he says. You shall keep the Sabbath because it is holy for you. Everyone who profanes it shall be put to death. Whoever does any work on it, that soul shall be cut off from among his people. Six days work shall be done, but the seventh day is the Sabbath of solemn rest, holy to the Lord. Whoever does any work on the Sabbath day shall be put to death. Now, it should be noted that this command to put someone to death was not routinely practiced among God's people. But it's important to see right here because we ask the question, I mean, really? I mean, is that the kind of punishment? I mean, Sabbath it doesn't seem like that big of a deal. I mean, you're only hurting yourself, so we think. I mean, we get something like murder, but Sabbath, I mean, who is that really harming? And one of the things in our individualistic view of God's commands that we miss is that our behavior shapes culture, and our culture shapes other people. And when we are part of a community where people overwork, then we're a part of a community that won't enable Sabbath. You see, the importance that God places, He doesn't want to create a culture and community where people will work themselves to death. He wants to create a community where there is genuine rest. And so the question for you and me, are we investing in that kind of community? Are we creating that kind of community here? Because here's the deal, we all need it. We all need each other. I need you. I desperately need you because in my sinful heart, I want to believe that I can be the answer to everyone's problem. In my sinful heart, I want to create this kind of identity that says, I'm working really, really hard, everyone, look at me. And when you ask me how my week's been, I, like, the, like the immigrant, busy, very busy. And I need your help. I need your help to encourage me to rest. And that we aren't impressed with one another when we talk about how busy we are. We all need each other's help. We all need community and people that ask us, are you taking time off? Are you sleeping? How are you doing with Sabbath? We need each other to create a culture where rest is celebrated. Also, a Sabbath habit. We need to prepare in order to pause. As we said, rest isn't just going to happen. You need a plan. A few things to consider. Uh, what are our limitations? What gives you rest? What takes away energy for you? 
What does rest look like in this season? If you have young children, it might look different than before you had kids. What does rest realistically look like in this season? What is preventing you from experiencing rest? It requires plan. It requires assessment. Also, who are you? Are you an introvert, extrovert? What do you enjoy? What can give you rest? And then it requires pausing. It requires stopping. Taking 24 hours a week to stop, to put the phone away, put the email away, to stop, to cease, to disconnect from work and external pressure, to stop the chores that drain your energy. Amen? In order for us to thrive for the long haul, we need to be able to stop. We need to cease, to pause from the relationships that are prone to make you someone's little God or people who are constantly wanting something from you to stop, to pause. We need to prepare in order to pause. A third habit, practicing Sabbath, is to refresh and enjoy God and your work to enjoy God's creation and enjoy your work. To really understand Genesis, you need to, and the Sabbath that God brings, God creates the world and it repeats. He says, it is good, it is good, it is good. And he ends with, it is utterly good. And then he Sabbaths, then he rests. One of the things we see here is that to Sabbath is to be utterly satisfied in what's been done, to refresh and enjoy God's work. Sometimes religious people, we struggle with this. Uh, we struggle to enjoy God's creation. We struggle to enjoy, to see the world as good. We think that in some way God wants us to just grind it out and die. <laughs> and, you know, you know how we know that's not true? Because, again, in God's top ten list of commandments, he gives the command to Sabbath, to rest. God wants us to enjoy his creation. And so back to some of these questions. You know, what energizes you? What gives you life? You know, we're different. Some people, like my wife, she finds life in hanging out with a lot of different people. The neighbors can be walking by and Megan wants to go out and meet them and see what's going on in their life. I want to hide. I want to go lay on the hammock. We're different. God in his providence created us that way. What refreshes you? What energizes you? Maybe, maybe there are some chores. Maybe it's pulling weeds. Cutting the grass for a lot of people energizes them. I don't understand that. I'd rather do about a thousand things before cutting the grass. What energizes you? God gives you permission to do that. To refresh and enjoy God's work. And lastly, practicing Sabbath. To contemplate the beauty and meaning of God's gracious work. You know, we started by saying God 
gives the command to his people to build a tabernacle, a space for his presence, and then he gives the Sabbath a time to experience God's presence. What does it look like to experience God in time? You know, it's interesting. One study done by Stanford found that when a person experiences awe, which is a moment where they are aware that they are part of a story greater than themselves. When a person experiences a sense and feeling of awe, their perspective of time changes. That time becomes longer and more meaningful when we experience a sense of awe. This is a reminder that we are spiritual beings and God doesn't create you and me as little machines. God's concern is not, all right, command. I need a command. Everyone needs to do their part or else the world will fall apart. Everyone must. Everyone must do their... His concern is that we turn ourselves into little work units that don't become human beings, become human doings, and find our identity in all our work. God said, command Sabbath. And in our Sabbath, we are invited to take time and to contemplate and to think about the beauty of God's created world, the beauty of God's grace. And when we find ourselves just working and working and working, we miss that opportunity. The Sabbath liberates us, liberates our body, our mind, and our soul. Let's be a community, a culture that empowers each other to do this. Let's pray. Lord, thank you that you are a God that commands rest and you provide true and lasting rest through not our work, but yours, through your Son, Jesus Christ. Thank you, God, in a world of hard news, in a world of hard work, you bring good news. And you invite us into a way of living where you take on our burden and your work is light. We pray this in the name of your Son and the power of the Spirit. Amen. <laughs>